Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest all the way from New Jersey. That was horrible. I don't know why I said that. Um, but <laughs> I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. David Zaniga with me. David, what's up? How you doing? What's going on, Jason? How are you up in Canada? I'm, I'm good, man. It's it's the middle of the afternoon. I'm on my fourth, fifth, fourth, fifth podcast today, and I'm just we're just gonna have fun. We got some cool topics. I'm looking forward to you know getting into we into the topics we've chosen today because they're gonna be a lot of fun. But hey, before we get into our topics, though, I always like starting off these podcasts with a little origin story because honestly, it's it's really for me than I think for anybody because I'm always fascinated how people get started in the business. So so David, what is the origin story of how you got started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Yeah, Jason. Um, you know, my story is I, I've been a student of sales ever since I can remember. Um, you know, even when I was a kid, uh, selling and trading, you know, baseball cards, comic books, things like that. Uh, went to school at Hofstra University in Long Island, go Hofstra U. And, uh, you know, when I came out of school, I, I went right into management in a, in a different industry, but I, I, I had a sales team under me. And uh, the 2008 crash happened, and I found myself, you know, home uh, with a severance package. And, um, you know, a friend of mine was in, in the automotive space at a, at a dealership and asked me for help in building a BDC team mm. uh, for their dealership. Uh, and so I did. And at first, it was very um, just a consulting kind of gig and telling them how I would do it and sales and service. And I didn't really know the ins and outs of a, of a dealership, so to speak, but uh, it was, it was cool and fun. And then by the end of that little project, uh, their controller asked me like, Hey David, what would it take for us to hire you as a BDC manager? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a multi multi top store. And, uh, and so I took on that little project for a little bit. And from there I grew in the business to sales management and desking deals and you know, the whole thing. And, Find my found myself as a GSM eventually running a sales team and sales floor, and that was uh, fantastic. And so um, you know, but even before that, let me let me tell you a funny story, Jason, that yeah. I left out when I was in high school. Um, my my neighbor, my girlfriend's neighbor, my girlfriend at the time, her neighbor uh, was a finance manager at a dealership. And he was like, "Hey, what are you doing this summer between school? I just graduated high school." And he says, "Hey, you want to make a few bucks?" I sold cars at a Toyota dealership. The biggest Toyota dealership in New Jersey. Everybody knows the dealership. Um, and uh, I sold cars for that summer. I bought my car cash that summer. I made so much money, more money than I've ever made in my life. And, and then I ended up back in the in the dealership world and kind of full circle. Uh, in between that time, I left the dealership world and went to a, a leasing app, okay. uh, e-commerce all the way. And, um, and I've been hooked since. I, I think the industry is an incredible industry. I think it's unique. I think it's the best kept secret in business. Um, and I think there's so much room for growth and and, uh, and and to do more than we already have. Oh, man, I'm, w- I'm with you, David. It's one of the things I love about this business is growth, right? Um, you know, I think if we were an industry that was uh, uh, considerably more innovative and considerably more advanced, I don't think I would actually find it as much fun. See, I, I think we're in this industry slightly because we're chaos junkies. Like we actually kind of like the fact that we have to kind of like drag and pull 
you know, the industry along to get more innovative. Like there, there's like enjoyment in that pain or something like that. I think we're, <laughs> we're just kind of weird like that. Right. But that yeah, is kind of our it, first think... topic, you know, t- uh, today is about e-commerce and yeah. in, in the automotive space. And we got a little time to jam about this before we start recording today, but I know you got some thoughts on this. So I'd love to kind of get kind of your, your, your opinion of, you know, e-commerce in the automotive space, you know, what it is now and where do you think it's going? Yeah, I think we live in a time where uh, consumer behavior is purchasing almost everything and anything from your couch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this, this pandemic kind of quickened the automotive industry into, into this space and this realization that e-commerce isn't going away and that you have to kind of get into that space and do the right thing by your customer. And it's funny because before we got to, to recording, you were talking about how we more or less were doing e-commerce for a long time, you know, from our BDC rooms and mm-hmm. from a management standpoint, we were, we were on the internet for since the beginning. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what customers expect as far as e-commerce and what we are presenting are two very different things. And I think a lot of dealerships and a lot of uh, personnel in the stores are having a hard time, in my view, having a hard time uh, with that realization and uh, understanding how quickly we need to adjust um, and or how quickly we will kind of fade away. Uh, so I think it's an interesting time in our business, an interesting time in our industry. Um, and and I think there's a lot of players out there and a lot of people that want to do it, don't know how to do it. I think a year from now, five years from now, our industry is going to look completely different. Mm-hmm. And the models and how we do business are going to look completely different. Well, I love the fact that you actually called it e-commerce, not digital retailing. Um, because I, I think we've, as I think as vendors, we've already kind of messed up the word digital retailing. Um, you know, it's now kind of referenced as like a tool or a widget or a little, you know, a special button you put on your website. You know, when I think of e-commerce, you know, e-commerce is a process way before it's a piece of technology. And, Mm. you know, if you don't embrace, you know, or define what that e-commerce process is, is going to look like at your dealership, you know, I think, you know, just going out and buying a, a digital retailing product and then slap it on your website. That's, that's not, that, that's, that's not an e-commerce solution to me. So, you know, how do you feel um, about our industry, you know, focusing more on the technology and less on the process? That is a great question. Um, you know, I think the way that it should feel uh, from the consumer end, and I think this is, we can go in so many different directions here, mm-hmm. but I think in the automotive space, we, we spend, an exorbitant amount of time thinking about how we as uh, personnel or management or, or dealer principals or whatever the case may be, how do we feel about digital retailing or e-commerce as opposed to how does the consumer view the process uh, as you were alluding to? So from my end, I think that the e-commerce feel process should feel a lot like how your store feels. You know, when the customer walks through the door, how are they greeted? Uh, what does the process look like? What could they expect? And it, I think if we do a good job on our websites um, to provide that same type of feel and ease of doing business, we will eventually do more business. I think the issue that we have as an industry is that we we, we kind of put the customer through too many hoops uh, in order to make the purchase process as easy as possible. 
No, I, I'm with you. I think as an industry, and I would use the word buying process. Like I, I, I think as an industry, we've built a buying process. Like here are the 12 steps you need to complete to buy something from me, right? But I, I think the rest of the world and other verticals, we were talking about other verticals before we started recording today, you know, they've defined more of a purchase process. And a purchase process has like flexibility. Like There's like ebb and flow to it, right? Like it's not this rigid, you know, you must follow these 12 steps or whatever, right? Like, you know, I think of a purchase process of like, well, like right now, like I was just buying something on Best Buy, literally like just before we got onto this call, right? And I have the option of choosing to pick it up at the store, uh, having it uh, delivered to my local store and then picking it up um, or having it delivered, you know, straight to my house. So it was like I could choose from locations that had it in stock or I could have it sent to my local store or I could have it del uh, delivered directly to my house. So they they presented me uh, ways that I could purchase that would is either convenient or easier for me. Now, this particular thing I actually need now. So I will drive, you know, to the next city over the 35 minutes and I'll and I will pick it up from that particular location. I can't wait, you know, the couple of days. But see, that that's a great example of what a purchase process is. And I think as an industry, we're, we're trying to figure out, like, what does that look like? You know, is there a way a customer can buy a car in an hour? You know, can they have it shipped across, you know, across the country? You know, what are your thoughts? I think that, uh, again, it, it boils down to, to one idea in my mind, and that is the easier you make doing business with your store, the more business mm -hmm. you will do, mm -hmm. because that reputation is kind of, uh, it, it will spread like wildfire. Uh, in, in the same respect, the harder you make it, the less business you're going to do. And, and it's unfortunate, but we have to come to terms with this reality that our industry has a bad reputation, has had a bad reputation. We are seeing a certain way, right? That has changed over the years. I believe that the processes, the buying processes in the stores have become so much better. I think the personnel is so much more educated, so much more, uh, better trained. Um, but that does it doesn't feel that way when you go onto a lot of our websites, and so I think that what we need to do is figure out a way. And I don't. I think to your point, I don't think uh, the tools are really the the answer. I think it is more about the buying process. How can yeah, we make process. those steps instead of twelve? How can we make them three to five? How can we ease that process and ease that uh, consumer relationship with us, even if they're not in our store? If we treated every website interaction the same way we do every up then I think we would have more success uh, as far as e-commerce is concerned. That's actually a really good point. I mean, if you think about it, you know, <laughs> as an industry, when a customer comes to the door, right, um, we do cater our presentation, you know, to, to the person who's in front of us, right? We're like, we, we're like, okay, okay, I see you're coming in with a couple of kids, you know, looks like, oh, you got another one on the way. All right, you know, you, you kind of have an idea of like how you're going to kind of present the product or, or which direction you're going to kind of take them. But, but you acknowledge the person as an individual. And we didn't just decide that we're going to make them follow this, these 17 steps because, you know, that's what we have to do, right? So, and, and I agree with you. I think as, as an industry, we've become more flexible. Well, let's say some has become more flexible. I would say, I don't know about you, but I still think it's kind of a 50, 50, right? So 50% of them are being flexible. The other ones aren't, you know, but, but, but you, but you're spot on, like in being able to offer, you know, uh, uh, multiple uh, solutions or multiple ways for someone to buy to me, that's e-commerce, but that's process. But if that is not, if that only exists at the dealership and is not clearly defined on the website, then, then we've lost the opportunity. We're not really, identifying that too often. I think we're still treating our websites like digital brochures 
not uh, not pathways to to the purchase. Don't you agree? I, I agree 100%. I think our websites are an extension, and, and probably in my mind, even more important than our than our showrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how we do business and how we're going to grow our businesses, especially in the local market. Uh, and I don't think you get that feeling. I think it's to the detriment of the store. Um, and, and I think it is truly because of lack of understanding um, and lack of importance. I think that we have always, unfortunately, treated our websites, like you said, a digital brochure of what we offer, the cars that we offer, and what time can you make it in? Uh, instead of, hey, you know, we want to earn your business. We want to make this process as easy and painless and stressless as possible and really cater um, that website and the process that we offer on our websites uh, to that to that feeling. No, it's, it's all about communication, right? And we, we do a good job, to your point you said earlier, we do a good job of communicating our processes with inside the dealership, but then on our website, we totally forget about it. So for, for David, for anybody out there that's watching and listening right now and maybe kind of nodding their head and agreeing with us, you know, what recommendations or what processes would you recommend that they should document and put on their websites for consumers to take a look at both prior to coming into the dealership? Well, I mean, it, I think it's it's literally things as simple as a face-to-face. You know, I see you right now. You see me. We kind of get a feel of each other. We're vibing off of each other. There's a warm and fuzzy feeling here. <laughs> what if we were able to produce this same type of feeling over the Internet, via Zoom, via, via videos? Uh, I think there's a lot of different ways where a consumer can get an idea of the type of dealership you run and your personnel, your sales staff, and management that we don't necessarily take advantage of. And, and I think that is really the, the, at, the bo- at the end of the, the, the tunnel there, the bottom line is that our websites are, are kind of cold and drab and, and very monotonous and very similar to each other. And so what are you doing as a dealership? What are you doing as an e-commerce site uh, to kind of differentiate yourself and separate yourself from, from everyone else? And I think a lot of that would be one-on-one conversational tones, videos, it's describing the, the process and trying to get in front of the customer, even when they might be a few miles away. I, I, I like that a lot. I mean, if we started looking at our websites as a tool to connect rather than a tool to generate leads, um, I, I think the content and the way that we design and develop out the websites would drastically change, right? I mean, the intention should be to connect with the person before we start selling something to them because that's what we do inside the dealership, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, you said something earlier. You said you were just buying something on Best Buy. Um, and, and I say this to a lot of dealerships. all When I speak to them, I say this all the time. I say, you got to put yourself in the consumer's shoes. When you go to purchase something, how do you want that process to be? And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. We want the process to be easy for us, but we make it difficult for our customers. Uh, which is interesting, and uh, you know, it's it, it goes and falls in line to what we were talking about earlier. We've always done business this way. Exactly. We want control of the process and the customer, and, and so you know, we we kind of act on that, uh, as opposed to saying, "All right, what does consumer behavior look like in the 21st century? What does consumer behavior look like in the post-pandemic world? What is a consumer looking for, and how can I take advantage of that and cater to what their behavior is?" It, I, I'm with you on that. And I think that the cornerstone of a dealership to uh, uh, that first impression, that first impression, right? That, that, that group of people that are really kind of in charge of setting that stage is your BDC. Mm. And I think this is a perfect segue kind of into our next topic is, you know, are BDCs today, you know, should they really be called BDCs or should they be called e-commerce centers? 
That's a great question. You know, our BDC for a long time has kind of been that uh, forgotten team in the back room. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, or, you know, the, the guy that couldn't make it on the showroom floor, we stick him back there and, and pick up some phone calls and answer some leads. And really, if you think about it, they are the heart and soul of a dealership. They are probably the most important personnel that you have in the dealership. Um, you know, you look at other industries and you look at other models, even in within our industry and customer service, the customer service team, as they call them, are the most important. You know, they are the, the, the focal point, the first person, the first point of contact that a lot of these consumers do speak to. Uh, you, in many cases, you only get one shot uh, to make an impression and to make an appointment. Um, so I think that a lot of times to your point, we, we don't look at it as an e-commerce representative, but we should, you know, are we arming them not only with the training that they need, but the information that they need and the, ab the ability to have this kind of connection that you and I are having, uh, the ability to say, Hey, Mr. Customer, I hear what you're looking for. This is how I'm going to make this process super easy for you. Uh, and do that via video, do that, uh, whether it be over the phone, email, text, uh, but do it in a way where it doesn't feel, um, the Grant Cardone says it all the time. People want to buy, but they don't want to be sold. Right. Yes. Uh, so it doesn't feel like a pitch. And I know that's difficult to do for a lot of uh, people over the phone, but I think that is because, uh, it isn't as important as it should be within our dealerships. Well, it's because of what we measure, right? You know, we measure end results, not yeah. the efforts that are required to get to those end results. Right. If you think about this, it's it's funny because we're like one of the only industries that really focus on this. You know, if you think of like professional sports, for example, right, they measure every at bat, every effort. All right. That is required to get to the end results is measured. And that's actually how people are determined uh, how successful of a player that they are. And for some reason in our industry, we just don't care. <laughs> Or I will take that back. There are obviously some dealerships out there that do a really phenomenal job of measuring all the efforts that are required. But I don't think as an industry as a whole, we do this. Do you think so? I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I think many times uh, we do not measure um, the process mm -hmm. and the key KPIs that it takes to get the result that we want. You know, we look at how many appointments we have for Saturday but we didn't measure how many phone calls, emails, text messages that we got during the week and what we did with every single conversation and every single point of contact. Um, and I think it is because we don't understand. I, I wouldn't say that we don't understand. We don't find the importance uh, in every conversation. If you, if you yes. really took the time, it's interesting because I do this sometimes, but if you, if you really took the time to listen to a lot of these conversations that we have over the phone or text or email, a lot of it is, kind of avoiding answering questions, right? And you yeah. ask yourself, why is that? Um, and that is why we have such a hard time uh, getting the consumer to believe that we are honest, transparent, and want to earn their business. Uh, but, I, but I think it's to your point, we are measuring only the result and not the process to get to that result. You know, I, I'm sure, like myself, you've probably listened to thousands and thousands of phone recordings over the years since we've, we've both run PDCs. Um, but I, I mean, I would look at the time on each call and, you know, the shorter the time on the call, I would actually be more concerned because yeah. it does take time to connect. And I think that's different though. I think, I think as a dealership, when your goal and objective is to connect with as many customers as possible, not to generate appointments, but appointments will come from connecting with the intent to connect with people, but to really focus on how many people we connect with. I mean, I remember as a salesperson, 
I can't tell you how many cars or how many referrals I got from people I never sold cars to. But I did such a great job of connecting with them as a human being that they referred their friends, their families, their, you know, their, their brothers, their sisters, you know, to come purchase a car from me. But I was, I had a great mentor when I first started. And that mentor taught me that this was a, this was a, a game of connecting and creating relationships, not, not, not transactions. And I embraced that super, super early, but then I think that makes, that makes a big difference. And, and I, I hate to say this, but I think BDCs were originally designed that way. But over the years, it's changed. You know, I was in a, a big BDC recently, and and the first number they wanted to show me was how many, what was their output on an hourly basis? Like, that was the number that they were most proud of. And I'm like, that doesn't sound right. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it isn't uh, quantity, it's quality, right? Um, I want to, I would love, I mean, I always measured the quality of your conversations over the quantity of your conversations. Uh, I think uh, to your point, you gain more business that way, you gain more referrals that way, and you're converting at a higher rate if you are connecting with every single customer. Obviously, that takes more time and effort and conversational skill, um, but I think that's what it takes. And I don't think we uh, we measure it enough, train it enough, or uh, really give it the importance that it should. Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, training. I definitely don't think that we train enough in the BDC around connecting with the person versus how much we train to just um, sell the appointment and extract the information that's necessary. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's not, but, but the funny thing is we don't do that when they show up to the dealership. Like I would say majority of dealerships out there have gone to more relationship selling versus transactional selling. Uh, but for some reason, our BDCs didn't get the memo. <laughs> they just, they're, they're so transaction based. Like I got to get this information. I got to get this appointment from you. And I don't really have time to connect with you. So I can say, I move on to my next call because I got to maintain my quota, but that all comes down to, that comes down to training. Um, but I think not just training in the BDC, but also training in the sales department, which is a good segue into kind of our next topic around around sales training. I think fundamentally it's changed in the last few years, definitely in the last 20 months, but I'd love to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think uh, just going back to the, to the previous conversation you just had, I, I think BDCs have become more informational than they have been transactional um, or relational. And, uh, and I think that is because of, of your point, you know, you kind of churn out these phone calls, churn out these emails, churn out these text messages, uh, which ultimately is the goal. And a lot of these reps are measured by that instead of exactly. your conversion um, in many cases. And, and I think that trickles down to the sales floor as well. Um, you know, you, you, you measure conversion rate, um, but are you measuring or, or managing or keeping track of the types of conversations that are had. Um, you know, we, we, we put a lot of focus on certain things, but not others, uh, to your point. You know, I think sales training is critical, um, but I think it, it has always been, when I was selling cars over 20 years ago and today, sales training is sort of a, a thing that we say we're going to do. We don't really do well. I mean, and there are certain dealerships that do a phenomenal job. They have a really good curriculum. They take it serious. They understand how important it is, but there are so many of our dealership partners and friends who really don't have a good grasp or idea of what is important. What do we talk about? And you'll know that if you sit on a few Saturday morning meetings, um, we call them beat up fez or, you know, it's the same type of meeting 
over and over and over instead of giving our salespeople and the BDC the tools that they need uh, in order to convert at a high level and connect with our customers in a way where the conversion is kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think, remember when I first got my first set of sales training, it was, it was actually pretty technical. You know, it was like, here are the, here's the, the, the nine point walk around. All right. Here, here is the 12 steps to the, to the, to the purchase, to the sell. Right. Here is verbatim how you do the meet and greet. Like it was very, very rigid and it was very, very plug and play. You know, I, I feel like right now, you know, we need to spend more time uh, developing. And I feel like, you know, some of the best trainers I know right now, even though they still call themselves sales trainers, I find them to be more of uh, sales developers where they're developing out the individuals and looking at what they're good at and maybe what they're weak at. All right. And then focusing on those, on, on those efforts, you know, to get them to that purchase. Uh, but I just don't think as an industry, we've quite adopted the more development versus the training, but I'd love to get your thoughts. You know, what's interesting to me is, you know, we, we live in a time right now where many people aren't social. It's so funny. We live yeah. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a time of social media, but nobody's actually social. Um, so it's people don't have really the art of conversation anymore. Um, and if there's one opportunity, I think, in the dealership and just in general, to develop people and sales forces, it is with this skill. The ability to connect with a human being, look them in the eye, shake their hand, or tonality over the phone, exactly. and let them feel you, your vibe, your sincerity, your transparency, and get that customer connect with you in a way where they say to themselves, I wanna do business with this person. That is a skill that we do not develop or uh, really hone in on anymore like we used to. And I think it comes from just uh, the, the way that we conduct ourselves in our lives these days. We don't really speak to each other. It's more text, email, social media posts, things like that. The art of having a conversation with somebody over the phone or through video is kind of lost. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're so right. I, I, I've, I've talked on this a couple of times and it's just that that art of connecting with others and that art of storytelling has kind of gone away. Um, but, but I think the way that people can uh, hone in on those talents again is through networking, um, which is great because that's actually our next topic. Um, <laughs> but, but it is right. I mean, I, I think people would be surprised to find out that I am not, I'm more of an introvert than I think other people think I am. Like, I think everyone thinks that I'm like, I'm the one that walks into the party. I'm like, let's get this started. That's actually not necessarily <laughs> me. Um, I, I am one that's very comfortable at sitting at my computer for six hours a day and just executing 172 tasks that need to be done. I, I'm, I'm, that's my comfort zone, but I forced myself to, to get out of that comfort zone. And a lot of that had to do with networking and getting out and getting in front of people, introducing myself, connecting with them, communicating with them and finding out ways of how I can kind of hack that. We were talking a little bit about the orange tide. That was one of those networking hacks, but I know you got some thoughts on, on networking and the importance of that and how that can continue to develop out, you know, our, our sales team. Yeah, I think that the at the end of the day, what that really is, uh, your 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 want to network comes from a want to grow. You know, yes. um, if you're like me, I'm a, I'm an introvert as well. 
But I force myself to have these conversations with you, with others in industry, out of industry, because I want to learn how I can grow and develop as a professional and just as a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is something that maybe we don't focus enough on just as individuals, you know, the, the, the growth and the mindset that it takes to be a salesperson in this day and age, you got to be constantly growing and developing uh, within your industry in order to be competitive. It is becoming so incredibly competitive. The only way to keep up is to, like you said, kind of hack um, other people's success and how they've done it, emulate and, and, and add those skill sets to, to what you already have. And I think if you did that and you kind of reached out and networked with other people who are very successful within the automotive space and even on the outside on other sales professionals, you'll find that a lot of the skills that they uh, have developed and use in their industries, you can use within the automotive space. You'd be surprised at the tools that they use that you can apply to yours. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, I remember kind of my first experience with networking. Um, I had a uh, an older salesperson when I first started. He, uh, he was uh, definitely one of my mentors. I had several mentors when I first started, which was great. I had good ones and bad ones, by the way. Um, I don't think all mentors have to be uh, excellent. I definitely had some mentors that showed me a lot of what not to do uh, versus what to do. Uh, but this one particular one, um, he had been a part of the small business association, the local small business association, for some time. And we got talking about it. He's like, yeah, you got to come with me. It's every Thursday night we do this, right? Now, this was early 2000s. So it still wasn't quite like I had my MySpace page, you know, and I don't think I don't think the audience I was connecting with that night had MySpace pages, um, like, you know, um, but but by forcing myself and going through that and connecting with these people, I saw how this particular salesperson generated this network of people that continue to feed him uh, referrals and business um, and how they all kind of worked with each other on that. It's like, well, you know, a plumber, I know a roofer, you know, this, like I know this. And, and it was, and it was a really beautiful thing. Now the cool thing is today. All right. Uh, you don't have to show up to, you know, a hotel lobby at Thursday night at seven 30 to do this. It is so easy to network right now, you know, with this little device in our pocket, we can network with hundreds, if not thousands of people, you know, so quickly, but as an, but as an industry, I don't think we teach our sales team how to network. And I don't think we focus on the importance of it. Do you agree? I agree 100%. I was actually at a networking event uh, this weekend and I heard somebody say something that really blew my mind. It sounds simple, but it's, uh, it's really profound. He said, content is king, but community is emperor. And I thought that was great because it is within the community of networking uh, with individuals within your auto, you know, and in our case, the automotive space or in, in other industries that you do and are able to, to build um, business. You're able to build relationships, connections that help you grow your own business. And that is really what we're in. I mean, the 21st century, if you are a salesperson at any dealer, you are your own business and you can create infinite amount of leads infinite amount of income income, uh, and really develop a reputation as a sales professional that exceeds anybody else's previous ability because of the tools that you have at your, at your disposal. Like you said, you don't have to go to a, a hotel lobby. You can literally do it on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and build up this reputation and clientele that nobody's ever seen before. So it is really an interesting time. And I think the, the key to doing all of that is networking digitally and in person. Oh, I'm, I'm with you for sure. I mean, but it's, it's a commitment, you know, it's, it's not something 
uh, that you can just do one time and then just expect some results from it. We were talking about like, like this podcast that I do, right? Like this is, this is a commitment. I I've committed now every single Wednesday for the last two years. And that's how I've consistently be able to execute that. And I think when, when people think of networking, um, I think, I don't think there's a lot of people out there that would disagree. That's a good idea. That's, that it's a bad idea, right? I think everyone out there is going to agree that this is a good idea and this is something I should do. But if, but if you don't commit to a schedule, and consistently doing it, you'll never reap the benefits of it, right? I mean, I have times of my day that is literally scheduled to catch up with all my LinkedIn or social media, you know, DMs or comments and stuff like that. Like, you know, I, I force myself to have that time so that it's consistently done. An idea is only as good as how well we can execute it. Yeah, and, and you know what's the other thing about that is that I don't think people give the uh, the importance to the idea of it's a give and take, any relationship, right? Uh, but especially professionally, you cannot, you know, withdraw from that relationship which you haven't deposited. Uh, and in your case, let's say, it's, it's value. You're giving value to a community, and then you are able to withdraw from that value that you've already given. Uh, it's the same thing with networking. You know, you're building relationships, you're giving of yourself, of your time, of your energy, of your knowledge, of your interests. And then at some point, you're going to be able to withdraw referrals, withdraw reputation, and withdraw a good uh, business that you've been able to build yourself. Uh, but I think it lacks, it, it's what you said, people lack the commitment and the understanding of how important networking and giving really is. I'm totally with you, David. I know we're getting towards the, the tail end of our time today. Um, but before I let you go, we've touched on some amazing topics. And uh, I think there's still some conversation to be had around some of the topics that we've discussed today. For everybody that's watching and listening right now who would like to connect with you and maybe even continue some of these conversations that we've started today, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, so on Instagram, at Zuniga, Dave, Z-U-N-I-G-A, D-A-V-E, Zuniga Dave. On LinkedIn, it's Dave Zuniga. And on Facebook, it's the same. Uh, if you want more information, you want to connect with me, uh, you can also uh, look up my website. It is www.davezuniga.com. Would love to connect with all of you. And if there's any conversations that we can have, let's do it. Let's connect. Let's grow. Let's, uh, let's, get, let's get more business together. Awesome, man. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a blast. You have yourself an amazing day. You too, Jason. Thanks for the time. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.